Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome back. Here's why you need to watch today's Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. One of the world's largest ticket companies has chosen a blockchain partner. We're going to discuss what that partnership between Ticketmaster and Flow means for the NFT space. Plus, we're going to dive into the crypto sniper Francis Hunt's latest technical analysis. Where is crypto going? What are the technical sayings? He he answers those questions and more in today's jam-packed episode. Stay tuned for those key takeaways. My name is Marco Oliveira. With me today, we have Mr. Aggressively Neutral, Ash Bennington. Don't forget to subscribe smash the like button on YouTube or join us on the Real Vision platform. Well, let's get into the latest price action. This new month has started on a bearish note. There's little hope for an imminent bull run. We're going to get into the details later in the show. Yahoo Finance Historically, Bitcoin has lost 6% on average in September, going back to 2011. Right now, Bitcoin is seesawing below and above the key psychological level of 20,000. Notably, there are signs of weakness in the stablecoin market. Coindesk is reporting a new research note by Morgan Stanley. The American bank says the combined market capitalization of the largest two largest stablecoins, Tether and USD coin, has begun to fall again. We saw the market cap stabilize in mid-August, but not anymore. Morgan Stanley says the two stablecoins market cap is 10% lower than its April peak. Ash, what does this indicate? Well, you know, on the note from Morgan Stanley, this draws a direct line between quantitative tightening uh, and what's happening in the stablecoin market. This makes sense intuitively, I think. Stablecoins function as a proxy uh, almost for demand and supply of credit in traditional capital markets. So there's this uh, macro crypto connection that we're going to be talking about more later in this show, Marco. Well, meanwhile, Helium, the native token of the Helium blockchain, HNT, is down heavily. This follows an announcement that peer-to-peer blockchain designed for the so-called Internet of Things will likely transform from its own cryptocurrency onto Solana's blockchain. The Helium community will vote on the proposal on September 12th, and it's expected to pass. And finally, Flow, the native token of the namesake blockchain, has seen some wild swings over the past few days. It's now trading flat after a significant pump yesterday, which brings us to our top story today. One of the world's largest ticket sales company, Ticketmaster, US-based Ticketmaster, has chosen the Flow blockchain for minting tickets as NFTs to some of its events. Flow is a layer one blockchain, which means it doesn't require another network like Ethereum to run. It was created by Dapper Labs, whose best known creation is the NBA Top Shot NFTs. Decrypt is reporting Ticketmaster and Dapper have been testing the program over the past six months. Ash, this sounds like a big deal for Flow and the world of NFTs. How is this going to work? 
Well, I think that's right, Marco. It is a really interesting story to watch. We don't know exactly how it's going to work. Flow is obviously uh, a popular protocol. There's some novel differences on the technology side that folks are uh, excited about, particularly the way that code changes uh, can happen on test servers. You know, remember, it was just earlier in August uh, that Instagram added support for the Flow blockchain. So it's a story that's getting a lot of pickup, I think, for that reason, because there's a sense uh, of potentially some momentum building there. You know, it's really interesting to me, you know, I think NFTs are probably the most misunderstood protocol or the most misunderstood uh, technology in the blockchain space. You know, if I were to say NFTs to most people, uh, many would not know what it was, but others would say, oh, yeah, of course, like Bored Apes. You know, I think Bored Apes and other type of communities that are art based uh, are interesting use cases, but I really think that the NFT technology is much broader than that. Remember what an NFT is. An NFT is just a token that has a unique digital fingerprint, and that has a tremendous number of potential applications. One that I was thinking of and that the story alludes to uh, is something called POAP. This is the proof of attendance protocol. This is the ability uh, to verify that you were physically in a place like, for example, a concert uh, or a sporting event, uh, and then to keep that blockchain, to keep that token with you, that NFT token, that POAP token with you on the blockchain uh, indefinitely. This is something that we've been looking at at Real Vision. I know that Raul's excited about it. I'm excited about it. There are just a tremendous number of opportunities with this technology. And again, for me, NFTs are a technology that we just don't understand all the use cases for. And for that reason, Marco, I think it's very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Huge opportunities. You know, when you said bored apes, it really makes me think of the culture. The use of NFTs for the culture, as the kids say, is something that we have discussed on Real Vision a lot. Ash, remind our viewers, what's the potential here when it comes to NFTs and culture? Well, I think it's vast. And this kind of comes back to this idea of that we just don't know exactly what this technology will bring us yet. You know, lots of people like to joke and make fun of uh, NFTs. It's just a it's just a JPEG. You can just right click and save it. But from a, from a cultural perspective, I think that we're seeing something that's that is quite novel here. And I think if, if people don't understand it, and they don't want to, uh, they don't want to participate in it, you know, that's perfectly okay, too. But I think, you know, it's really interesting whenever a group that's not the demographic for something says, Oh, this is like a really stupid idea. I always be become really skeptical. You know, one example of this is, uh, for example, the, the the vegan meat movement, right? Like, you may not be a consumer for it. You know, I myself, I love a nice, thick, juicy sirloin steak. Uh, but when people dismiss out of hand a new technology that appears appeals to a different demographic, especially when that demographic is younger, it's always dangerous to me, at least, Marco, to completely say, oh, this is stupid. There's nothing here. Yeah, you can't, you can't always just be like, oh, it's just the, those silly kids, right? I mean, this is something that every generation before us has kind of said. So, you know, these silly right. kids will do things. You know, when you see things like even like Roblox, I, I you know, kids are building all types of things on Roblox. And that has like amazing implications for what jobs could look like in the future. So there's so much there uh, to unpack. So, uh, you know, w you know, we'll definitely have to keep keep an eye on all of that stuff. Well Some said. Other yeah, yeah, yeah. Some other stories we're following today. Talk about a million dollar mistake. Crypto.com, best known for its ads with Matt Damon and its sponsorship deals, was supposed to refund an Australian woman $100. This is like easy stuff, right? $100, boring, you may say, right? Well, here's the catch. The company accidentally added a few extra zeros. Talk about like five extra zeros. They sent $10.5 million instead of 100. And you know what happened? They didn't notice for seven months. Now they filed a lawsuit against her. The court heard during that time, the woman had bought a mansion and transferred the ownership to her sister in Malaysia. Wow, talk about a case of fortune favoring the brave, huh, Ash? 
<laughs> or maybe not. Look, Marco, we've seen these cases in traditional banking. Uh, people have been sued, obviously, for the recovery of funds, as we see here. But in addition, we've seen cases where people have been criminally prosecuted. Indeed, some have pleaded guilty uh, to those charges and wound up with a with a felony conviction on their records for the rest of their lives. So this isn't a joke, especially when courts see potentially the intention uh, to hide assets. I'm not saying that's happening in this case, but it is something that people should be thinking about. You know, the other interesting thing about this is these cases differ dramatically by states. I remember reading about cases uh, where someone was prosecuted for, for example, in Florida for something that they wouldn't have been prosecuted for, for example, in New York. So it's very difficult to know without being a lawyer and without knowing the laws in a specific jurisdiction. Uh, so that's another aspect of it. You know, finally, obviously, I think this is probably not a great case, not a great story uh, for uh, for crypto.com. This is a company that in many ways is best known uh, for their publicity. They're best, uh, they're very well known, of course, for the Matt Damon ad. They're well known for acquiring stadium naming rights. And I think this is probably not a great story for them in, in two ways. So number one, uh, it shows that they they lost, uh, you know, multi-millions of dollars in funds and didn't realize that that had been lost uh, until, until you know, several months later, I think you said seven months later, $10.5 million, that's a pretty big chunk of change, right? If you lost that in the couch cushions, you'd probably notice it. So it doesn't make their sort of security infrastructure look very great. And it's also, it's never a great thing uh, to sue your customers. I think we remember this from the Napster days. So it's not an awesome story for crypto.com, I would say. Yeah, definitely not an awesome story for crypto.com. You know, on on another note, speaking of lawsuits, one of the biggest proponents of Bitcoin in traditional finance is in legal trouble. Michael Saylor, founder and chair of MicroStrategy, has been accused of tax fraud by the D.C. Attorney General. In a lawsuit filed Wednesday, the Attorney General accuses Saylor of not paying income tax in D.C. worth some $25 million, despite being uh, allegedly a resident there. The lawsuit also names Saylor's company, MicroStrategy, as a defendant. It alleges the company conspired to help Saylor evade taxes. Both Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy deny the allegations. Ash, this is one of the top stories in almost every major crypto news outlet we're even covering. It's, even though it's not directly covered about, it's not directly about Bitcoin. Why is there so much interest with this story? Well, there's interest because Michael Saylor is massively crypto famous, especially in Bitcoin circles. Uh, but a couple of points to make here. First, this is this is a civil case. This is not a criminal case. No one here, neither Saylor nor MicroStrategy, has been charged with a crime. Uh, it's a civil case in the District of Columbia, and as you said, Marco, both Saylor and Michael Sa uh, and MicroStrategy have denied the allegations. You know, it's it's a story that is going to be through, going through the courts, and we're going to have to wait and see as many uh, of these stories is true of. Obviously, when something is in the courts, we can speculate about it, uh, but we're going to have to wait and see until some of this more information comes out. By the way, I should just say, per CNBC, under uh, his leadership, MicroStrategy spent close to $4 billion acquiring Bitcoin. Again, that's probably an answer to your question, why is this story so interesting to so many people? Their average weighted cost on Bitcoin was $30,700. That's also per CNBC. Obviously, that's underwater from where it is right now. Uh, Michael Saylor has also said that he considers the company's stock to be sort of a, almost like a, a Bitcoin ETF. By the way, we should say MicroStrategy, which trades on NASDAQ under the symbol MSTR. Uh, as of right now, as we're live uh, down, it looks like about 4.4% uh, on morning trading today, Marco. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Very interesting. Well, you know, another story that we're looking at here is a quick update that we did on a, sh- a story from the show that we had on Tuesday. Kyle Roche, a, law- a lawyer involved in numerous crypto lawsuits, he was accused by whistleblower website CryptoLeaks of filing frivolous, frivolous lawsuits on behalf of Able Labs, creators of the Avalanche blockchain, against its competitors. The Able Labs CEO denied any involvement, calling the accusations categorically false. Shortly after the report came out, Roche said it contains numerous unsourced false statements and illegally obtained highly edited video clips that are not presented with accurate context. Now Coindesk reports Roche has withdrawn from lawsuits against Tether, Bitfinex, Tron Foundation, and more. This is Jeff, this is definitely a developing story, one to keep an eye on as, as we move forward. Well, onto our clips for the day. I recently sat down with Francis Hunt, the market sniper, the crypto sniper, to discuss what's happening in crypto markets. In this first clip, we discussed the dollar. Let's hear what he has to say about it. You know, there's this classic inverse relationship between the dollar and risk on assets. Just yesterday, we had a headline from Cointelegraph where they were saying that the dollar hit an all-time high, 20-year all-time high. It's since receded, but because macro is driving crypto, I think it's important we start there. What's going on with the dollar in your view? Oh, yes, indeed. You're spot on in terms of exactly what you said. And I I would like to think we were one of the earliest to start uh, calling this. You know, we were saying it's not about stock to flow models anymore it's not about uh various crypto centric exclusive this is truly you know it's a bit uh, macro is the earth upon which the buildings are built and generally you can talk about the building and how you're going to finish the interior of xyz apartment but when you have the earthquake and the ground moves everything else no longer matters whether the couch is in the right area or the right corner of the room just holding on tight uh and getting through the macro is the big game and and that really is top of the mountain as we were ch- when we were chatting just before. In fact, uh, this is a chart I probably don't uh, I show so many times, yet many people will not uh, have seen it. So I just almost insist on putting it up every time. Um, and it's the dollar index generally over quite an extended period. Our overall viewing has always been that this has been a macro falling wedge for the dollar. And that this was a major breakout that occurred in and around the 1415 era. Uh, and we've drawn this many times and we've highlighted it many times. Um, and in actual fact, just prior to stimulus, when we we're having the repo problems, um, that's when we came across Brent Johnson. And we felt he was the right message just at that time, the wrong timing, because we were in and around this point here. It was 19-ish uh, and we felt there's a down leg in the dollar at some point. But thereafter, when that has happened, we're probably going to go into what we considered a continuation um, break up to the upside. So our default position is always continuation. And what you had in the rising wedge from the periods of uh, the, the great financial crisis. So that put a real flaw there under the dollar. Uh, you had this squeeze and break. And that eventually took you outside of this macro uh, falling wedge, which is a very, very squeezing and critical and long term. It's a huge time frame uh, structure. So our overall opinion has been 
dollar dominance, even when the stimulus was being printed. In other words, our assumption was that we would base out. And in the end, we were a bit shocked how low it ended up coming. But when you consider that, I think of six or seven trillion was printed, it was understandable. So our hypothesis was due to fail at the running of that low, which ended up not happening. And the minute we started to see resistance and a bit of basing in there, we were looking for the technical assumption. So because we had the right macro bias, I think, on balance of probabilities for the time, we were bull biased even when everyone was bare and we were waiting for that pivot moment. It's an important point to also make that Bitcoin was having its absolute runaway success during this period and taking out uh, the highs, which obviously makes the point that you you asked in your question regarding risk on and uh, risk off uh, relationship with the dollar dominance. Since then, this has been an absolute runner and we've said a couple of times we're, you know, we're looking for the 111s to fall. Now, that looked very far away when we were in 89. Uh, so I'm going to bring us a bit smaller time frame now and bring us down uh, more recently instead of this monthly. It looked very far away when you were looking at uh, this structure and you were down and you traded below 90s where all this mess is that I've drawn. But you can see that, that there was a real W bottom in the orange there a real reversal. And since then, we've been in an absolute breakout. Those targets were both run uh, for that reversal uh, W bottom, which was also an inverted head and shoulders, by the way. So you get multiple um, overlays of pattern um, validation in there. So the, the left shoulder just for the technicians was in there and a very small right shoulder. There wasn't much appetite for downside. You broke, you ran into a bit of legacy resistance. And then since then, it's been pretty much one way. Ash, I really like this analogy Francis uses here. Macro is the earth upon which the buildings are built. You can talk about whatever you want in the building, but none of it matters when there's an earthquake. And clearly the dollar is part of Francis's macro view. What is he saying about the dollar in this clip? And why is the dollar important to watch in general? Macro is the earth upon which the buildings are built. It's a great quote, as you said, Marco. Uh, look, this is the background. This is the frame uh, within which the crypto sniper and, in fact, many others are looking at cryptocurrency today. I would say, you know, there were a lot of people who were pioneers in the space uh, who who began to see uh, Bitcoin especially, but also cryptocurrency more broadly as a potential macro play. Uh, Rao, I think, was the first person in media to be widely thinking of it this way and to be giving that argument about how this works. You know, when you look back at that chart of the dollar uh, that Francis showed, it goes back some 50 years uh, before either you or I were born. Uh, and what's interesting to me about that chart is there are two peaks above where we are right now. Uh, the second one, actually, was after the collapse of the dot-com bubble in the 2000 era. But the first is during the Plaza Accords. Plaza Accords named after the hotel that's kind of right down the street from me in that direction. Uh, you know, this is when the G5 depreciated the dollar against the Japanese yen and the Deutschmark, then the currency of Germany. Uh, the goal was to reduce trade imbalances. Many still argue that this was the beginning of the decline for Japan. We've obviously seen this multi-decades-long series of lost generations in Japan. There's a great uh, short Wikipedia article about this if you want to get uh, up to speed on what happened during the Plaza Accords. Why does this matter? Why are we talking about the dollar? Why this macro frame? I think the point here is macro matters, and it matters a great deal. Indeed, nations can rise and fall when their currencies fluctuate, especially when they fluctuate dramatically. 
The other point that I think it's important to make is that it's very hard to know the implications for these kinds of movements in currencies at the time. With Japan and with Germany, uh, as the Investopedia article points out, devaluation of the dollar was successful with Germany, but not successful with Japan. Indeed, as we said, it went into a secular economic decline uh, as a contemporaneous moment after the Plaza Accords occur. The point is, it is damned difficult to know at the time the implications of currency moves, uh, of fluctuations more generally in the FX markets. In fact, it's fair to point out that during the Plaza Accords, the last period where we saw these dramatic changes in valuations of the dollar, indeed the, the most significant peak on, on the chart from Francis, the brightest lights at the Department of Treasury uh, and the Academy and the academia, academic world uh, at the Fed weighed in on the Plaza Accords. And guess what? They got it wrong. Expert opinion is helpful, but it's not dispositive. These markets are very complex. And I think it's just a, a bit of a reminder as we think about crypto in a macro context that these things are often very difficult to interpret, uh, though it's a very important to watch, obviously, dollar strength uh, in both TradFi, if you're looking to buy stocks, and of course, in the crypto markets, which is the point that Francis is making here. Final point, and to me, this is super critical, Crypto specific stories still matter, especially, especially security flaws. Uh, the broader macro framework does not mean that people should ignore everything else. Nothing will drive price down faster, Marco, than a security flaw, than a hack in a space, as we've seen, of course, many times and we've described on this show, Marco. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of crypto prices, that brings us to our next clip here. We have Francis talking about Bitcoin, the world's leading cryptocurrency. Where does he see it heading? Let's take a look. Overall, we've done already a number of videos on this in terms of where we think the market goes, all the key levels. And we're already on record on our YouTube channel um, under the same name, saying that the next key levels will be 15 and then 10. And you might not be shocked by that because A, there's a round number in there, but B, we have legacy targets uh, and key uh, levels here. This 15 comes from a head and shoulder that I will show you from uh, the 69 high. You will see that coming all the way. There's that big vertical line. And if I just rectify that chart to get everything on here, this light blue. So I've been many times on uh, the crypto channel with you guys. And I've warned that this is still a live and active event that's in play. And its downside target was the 69 down to the 42, which if you can do your quick maths, probably quicker than me, you'll get to the point that you're looking at around $27,000, $27,000 or 42. They've both got two in them, so it's, you're essentially taking 25 or 40. That gives you a 15 number. And that is a big head and shoulder. And many people were saying when we said, this risk is out there now, guys, you stopped. At 55,000, they thought we were potty. At 30,000, they still thought we were kind of pushing it a bit far. At 20,000, they, they started to think, well, it's not uh, as far as it originally felt. And when I look at the amplitude, I'm just going to take the draws off. It uh, can be overwhelming. Um, when I take the amplitude of this rally, because this is how we use HVF method, we get geometry from each, uh, how much zip is there in the rally that typically projected down is also bringing us to the 15,000 level from where I'd anticipate our natural level of access for this pattern is. 
So there's a lot in there to explain that we don't have time for here. People can go to the marketsniper.com if they want to know more. But 15K is the very next level. And there are others below that, I'm afraid to say, until such time as we get a proper reversal pattern. And guys might say, well, when would you call a reversal? On what basis? None of this qualified. You need real sustained zip and momentum. And all of this was long scraggy continuation structure building and none of it fell into uh, a reversal structure as you can see here and i'm drawing it and i'm saying unfortunately for everybody the message remains the same that this too doesn't how could it change well the last major move of any great momentum was this heading down you need to go up at that level of rate. Uh, the only way this turns bullish, and what would what would it take for us to start making bullish overtones? You need a really zippy move up to the 25 again. This time, a far more relaxed move down, maybe even just a shoulder, but possibly a relaxed move down, and then a zippy move to the 25 and go. So we need to see some more of the momentum on the swings. And then we can see this was just a temporary neckline of resistance, um, you come back to it, you come off it far more gradually, you return to it with real vigor, and then you smash it. And that would give you a sort of W bottom or a double bottom, uh, or even a triple bottom um, type structure, or you need inverted head and shoulders for that to happen. The earlier shoulder you have is 31 and a half. So it's a long way back for reversal patterns. So Ash, Francis has an interesting view on Bitcoin's price here. What's your view on what Francis is saying in this clip? Well, first, I should say I'm not a technical analyst myself, but I always enjoy Francis's analysis and his take on this. I think it's interesting that Francis is looking at support levels of $15,000 and $10,000. He's looking at historical price levels here to derive those. And clearly, he is looking to the downside, Marco. He also clearly sees signs of technical weakness. Uh, what he doesn't see here are bullish signals with zip to the upside, as he says, which basically means uh, the speed and sort of dramatic moves to the upside that he would need to see, in his view, uh, to see that pattern breaking. Marco, what's your take on this? I know that you're very passionate about this space. Yeah, absolutely. So, Looking at that support level 15,000, it's really interesting how Francis got there. If the viewers are interested in following along what Francis' technical analysis is saying, he's talking about a head and shoulders pattern from July 2021 to J January 2022. This is a pattern that's typically used to predict a bullish to bearish trend reversal when we break the neckline. And the target is based on the difference between the peak of the pattern and the neckline. As you can see here, the neckline was around 42,000. He got that by drawing a straight line from the swing low from the left shoulder formed between August to September and the right shoulder formed in January 2022. The peak of the head was, of course, the November 2021 20, peak. That was around 69K. And the difference between the peak and the headline, the, the neckline, 69K to 42K is 27,000. 27,000 from the neckline on the bottom side is 15,000. And the idea is that when we break these head and shoulders pattern, the same distance we traveled above the neckline, we do below the neckline when we break it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So anyhow, moving on to this next clip, our analysis wouldn't be complete if we didn't throw Ethereum in there. And here we have Francis looking at Ethereum beyond price action. Ash, let's take a look. When you look at the monthly on the S dominance, so this is Ethereum divided by the market cap of all tokens, essentially, how much of a percentage of the market is it? Um, you've got a shooting star here. So it's had a great run on the merge uh, narrative. It's not the time to be wading into Ethereum, even though it's $1,500 versus the 2000 it was earlier on, because this can churn and congest and pull back. This is showing fatigue. So for this month, and we're still in the month for another day, um, so it's a pretty full month of data bagged in there that you're in a shooting star and you're at a key level. And this is where your question came in, Francis, uh, you were pointing out about the F dominance and the 20% mark. And this is a, a bit of a bedeviling point. So lots of annotations here. I'll just reduce some of that noise. Um, but we had a lot of, we were super bullish actually. And Raul came to that party as well himself um, during this period. So again, we're not Ethereum haters. We, we're totally dispassionate about pro products. We look at price behavior and we, and we take what the market and the money is saying. At the 20% mark, you can see still on this big monthly time frame, it's real heavy weather to hold above. So um, if I just drew the 20% line and took some of the other uh, annotations and noise, I leave all my annotations on um, for charts. If I just put it on there and take the eye off, you will see that actually you've barely had closures above 20% at a month end. You've had one closure above the 20%, that green candle. The very next one was back down at the 20% level and closing below. You've got above the 20% here during the month, but you're not going to hold it. So this is a heavy weather area in terms of it. It's kind of, you know, you're pulling the, the cannon in the cavalry and the, through the muddy field. It's real muddy field area here. To get higher, you need to get through the muddy field and onto some nice hard tarmac where the horses can get a bit of a gallop on and you can, you know, you can clippity-clop away. Um, but right now, it's, it's stuck in the mud and this is hard. This is pointing to um, fatigue in the F dominance. Um, so Ethereum... And many people were pointing out Ethereum and, and we were bearish and I said, look how well it's rallied. You, you have news generated events, particularly on a big project that can actually give relative price over performance for a fair period. But the long term is driven by the macro mood. Uh, is money coming into crypto market? Is it in defense mode? What is the dollar doing? And in spite of those that might have made some money, hopefully on the upside, if they were choosing to play long, uh, it's not much left. Uh, it's not a buy right now at these levels struggling in that dominance. I would expect the dominance to wither a little bit back. Um, it could stay in this boxed range, so it doesn't have to come back far. I'm not calling a capitulation back to the 15% or anything like that. And, and, and in fact, long enough, I would actually imagine that this will turn into much like our dollar index. But remember, these take a long time to form. And I think we've got a lot of bedwetting to do between now and then, if you'll excuse the phrase. But, you know, you could have something where it comes some of the way back and comes back up and we get continuation. So I do expect Ethereum to be a fundamental. It's involved in so many things. I don't think it's going away. And in some days, if you ask me, I think it's got almost more 
more possibility of surviving than Bitcoin uh, in, on some days. So, you know, just, just thinking at things at a business level because of so much is being developed upon it. But that, that could be a structure for the future. But this is not going to be an exciting time. And I think price in dollars during this period could actually be going down. Ash, here we have another great clip from Francis. What are your general thoughts on this clip? Well, you know, what Francis is talking about here is Ethereum dominance. That's the relative ratio of market capitalization of Ethereum to everything else in the space. He seems pretty clear, Marco, that Ethereum is not a buy for him right now. And he sees the potential for price declines in dollars in Ethereum going forward. But one of the things that's actually quite interesting to me is Francis talks briefly about the fundamental case for Ethereum, this view that he believes that a lot of things are being built in the Ethereum ecosystem that's interesting to him and that it actually has the potential, in his view, uh, to outperform Bitcoin on a longer term basis. That's really interesting to me, Marco, because Francis is a guy who looks at price behavior, not someone who generally looks at the fundamental case. So I think it's interesting that Francis is sort of does this little aside here where he talks about the fundamental case for Ethereum, in fact, being strong, Marco. What's your take? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. I found I also found what Francis said about the fundamental use case for Ethereum interesting. Like he said, there's being so there's so many things being built on top of it. And DeFi NFTs, at least right now, we see them primarily on Ethereum. We do see other blockchains start to come up in that department, blockchains like Flow and Solana. But the advantage that Ethereum has is that first mover advantage. So I understand why Francis has a long-term fundamental case for Ethereum. And this, of course, while he's mainly a price action guy, very, very interesting. But the other thing I found that was interesting is this comparison to the dollar's wedge structure. Before we get into that, Ash, as you said earlier, dominance is the ratio of market capitalization a particular crypto token has to the rest of the cryptocurrency market. For example, as of this morning on September 1st, 2020, 2022, Ethereum is at a market cap of around $189 billion. The total crypto market cap is approximately $1.02 trillion. And since dominance represents the percentage of how much Ethereum comprises of that total market cap figure, it's just simple division. So $189 billion divided by $1.02 trillion, definitely huge numbers there. But that puts uh, Ethereum at around 18.5% uh, dominance, which we can see confirmation from on CoinGecko. TradingView, as of this morning, had it around 20%, but that's because the numbers are slightly different that they're using. It's the same process. So back to the comparison of the dollar. Francis said that on a long enough time frame, he could see Ethereum dominance forming a similar wedge structure to the dollar index that we saw in that that from the first clip, right? It was a huge wedge structure. That to me is super interesting because as we've seen in the dollar, a breakout from these long wedge structures can lead to huge moves. In the dollar's case, a huge move to the upside. Could we see the same for Ethereum in the future? Perhaps, but like Francis said, it will take time for this type of structure to form and it's gonna chop around. And in the meantime, we might see Ethereum's value go down in terms of dollars. So it's something that definitely to be keeping an eye on. So Ash, with that said, Let's move on to our last clip of the day. Here I asked Francis for final thoughts he'd like to leave viewers with, and he hammered home the importance of macro again. He brought up the NASDAQ chart, a lot of in interesting things to say. Let's take a look. Crypto as a whole and Bitcoin itself, the total market cap and Bitcoin itself has never faced the sell-off that occurred in the dot-com crash. It didn't even face the sell-off of the NASDAQ chart in the great financial crisis. In fact, its birthing has been 
throughout an entirely reflationary period. That doesn't mean there weren't some shocks and pains uh, at a macro level, but there was nothing of the great scale of the dot-com crash on the NASDAQ. And I, I, should, I should respect the audience and actually just remind everybody, because not everybody visualizes charts like you and I might do, Marco. So if I just bring that up, um, this has been a massive reflationary period. And uh, a high beta assets are exactly that. They can go and fall very hard, very far. And most people don't understand. They made so much easy money in the bull markets because of that high beta, but it bites in both directions. And you've not felt the fullness of that ever since the birthing of Bitcoin. Look at these key events that occurred here. That was the sell-off from the NASDAQ.com high. And uh, look at it again for the great financial crisis. And by the way, these bearish events set up future bullish events. This is a macro HVF, by the way, uh, and that would have been behind the driver. And this is like your Bitcoin two and a half year setup that took you to 69K. So that's what the NASDAQ's had uh, so far. Yes, you've had minor sell-offs. Uh, so Bitcoin was born around 2010. You've had nothing but minor sell-offs. Sure, at the time, the headlines might have been super scary and racy, et cetera, et cetera. You had the euro crisis. That was pretty big, 2020. Okay, we know what happened there. And now you're in this. But you have yet to face a proper wholesale high beta asset class like the tech, full-blown correction like any of these. And these were in the region of, you know, even if I take the lesser one of the great financial crisis, you had about 2.9 and you ended up down at about 1.250. You've lost You've lost 60, 65%. Think about what your high beta alts are going to be doing when the NASDAQ loses 65%, if it were to lose it. And I'm saying valuations are insane, markets turning down, the world is pivoting to physical things. I refer you back to what I will be doing on the beyond milkshake, the commodity currencies, leaving the dollar even out of this. There's a dollar dominance theme, full credit to Brent for naming it. Um, but there's so much else. We're going back and we're going to really go on Maslow's hierarchy needs. You know, a metaverse, owning property in the metaverse is going to be sitting somewhere on the peak of the pyramid where that capstone no longer exists and just keeping your apartment warm in Germany or the UK during winter and being able to afford that is going to become far more tricky. So it's a non-crypto friendly period coming up. And we've yet to face in the crypto birthing period, which is from here, essentially, a real shakeout on the tech boom. So I don't want to know how low Bitcoin could go. And certainly the sketchy, I think a lot of projects could be cleaned out of the alts uh, category if we have uh, a 30, 40 or 50 percent uh, sell off here. If we have something that brings us back down to 4,000 or 3,400 or even five or six if we have just double to go, what we're going to go here, I refer you back to that Bitcoin IXIC chart. This is a key thing. So defense, defense, defense. And if you're prepared to learn a method, you want to be with us, there's a lot to be made on the short side and it comes fast and furious at you. So Ash, here we have Francis saying crypto as a whole has never faced a sell-off like the dot-com or 2008 financial crisis. You mentioned the dot-com financial crisis or the, the dot-com bubble in your first clip where we talked about the dollar. He also said crypto was born during this period of reflation. What does Francis mean by this? How is it affecting his outlook? Yeah, Bitcoin was born in reflation. Francis is saying something that we've talked about here on the show a great deal. He's just saying it in slightly different words. Uh, this is the idea 
that central bank liquidity has been pushing asset prices higher on a broad basis and that the period that we've seen Bitcoin in the indeed the period that Bitcoin was born has coincided with the rise uh, of quantitative easing. Now we're moving from a period of QE to QT. That's quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. So Francis is really asking this fundamental question reflecting on whether or not this Bitcoin phenomenon has been to some extent in terms of the price movements at least uh, a phenomenon of the period uh, of quantitative easing. And we're going to have to see on that. It's a really interesting point and a really sort of core fundamental one. And as you say, Francis points out that we've yet to see a full-blown correction in the Bitcoin market. Obviously, Bitcoin price is very volatile uh, in terms of upside volatility and downside volatility, both. But he's talking about more of a secular sort of stagnant bear market in Bitcoin, in his view, which we have not yet seen. You know, the other interesting point here to me is that Francis talks about the idea of how Bitcoin enthusiasts uh, see Bitcoin as an inflation hedge. Uh, you know, this is maybe extrapolating out a bit from what he's saying. But it's interesting to wonder about whether or not that is not the case, at least is not the case in the time being. The idea of Bitcoin is an off-the-grid asset that is not subject to central bank dilution. In fact, we've actually seen the opposite. We've seen central bank reflation. We hear about this phrase, uh, symmetric reflation. This is the idea that a central bank's increase liquidity in the system. You see this broad-based increase in prices across the board. Certainly, that's something we've seen. You know, by the way, one of the things that was most striking to me uh, is this: the contrast that he makes at the end of this conversation between buying property in the metaverse versus keeping your apartment warm in Germany. This is kind of a, a sort of a grim metaphor for the idea of when there are challenges in the real economy, people do not look toward growth. They do not look toward new opportunities. They look toward things like taking care of their family. Obviously, we're looking at a, a fuel shortage. Francis uh, is from the UK originally, I believe. So this idea, uh, people in Europe right now, significant challenges in terms of demand for fuel versus supply of fuel. In fact, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline was just shut down again, uh, allegedly for technical reasons. So there's a real challenge in Europe now. And he's sort of bringing this case, Marco, about the fears that we see in the economy and how there's just a shift in mindset, people looking toward new technologies, looking toward growth versus looking toward security, Marco, an incredibly important point. Yeah, definitely a grim view, but I think the absolutely correct one. Here's what I learned today whenever I was watching, even when with the conversation with Francis, what viewers can take away. So macro is the earth upon which the buildings are built. If we see a massive move in macro markets, it's impossible for crypto to be unaffected. And if people are concerned with heating their homes, I mean, are they going to spend money on crypto? Not likely. What kind of move could we see if everything starts to correct, if the NASDAQ starts to correct, similar to the dot-com or 2008 financial crisis, it would be huge. And alt, altcoins would do far worse. Uh, as that aside, even just looking at the technical profile of Bitcoin, Francis still views it as bearish with 15K, even 10K as a possible target. We talked about that head and shoulder. That said, during our interview at separate parts, and actually multiple times and throughout, he says, Eventually, one day he will be wrong. No one is right all the time. He's a trader. He's looking at, at this. Right now, he sees that we're in a bear trend. Continuation is his default position. Until we see a reversal, he's going to continue playing this market like it's a bear trend. Uh, but we did see what kind of moves Bitcoin would need to make to to have that type of reversal. So there's definitely a lot to unpack in this interview. If you want more analysis from Francis, you got to go check him out on YouTube, on Twitter. He's the market sniper, the crypto sniper. He has a website, themarketsniper.com. Go check it out. Give him a follow. Anyways, moving on to our last segment, 
from uh, this question comes from Maximus, our uh, an employee here at Real Vision. Do you think that the developments with Flow could allow the token to disconnect from typical macro fundamentals? Currently seeing no response in price. What's your take, Ash? Marco, I've got some ideas on this, but I'm kind of curious to hear your take on it first. Well, you know, I think this kind of plays into everything we've been talking about. From the very first clip, macro is the earth that the buildings are built on, right? So it's really hard for there to be a disconnect from, you know, any type of asset class. You know, all these, when he ta when Francis talks about the buildings that are built, we're he's talking about crypto, he's talking about tech, he's talking about oil, he's talking about everything. And so if we kind of see... A, a a world where all these things where the macro where the macro there's an earthquake you're right in this in this analogy then of course everything's going to fall and even with something like flow it, it could also represent why people don't have this extra cash to be putting in money yeah sure that they heard flow has interesting partnership with instagram has a new partnership now with Ticketmaster. Do they have the 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 funds, the cash to be able to invest in that? You know, probably not. So it, that's I'm thinking that's why we're seeing that. But what's your take, Ash? What are you seeing? Well, Marco, that's a great point, and I think that that's true. You can't escape the macro cycle. Obviously, if there's an earthquake and it's devastating, that affects everything of the the ground that it's built on. So, but I also think here that there is this sort of counter case, and this is the sort of complexity of markets, the complexity of the way that we need to think about these things, is that you can have a trend, for example, that bucks the trend, right? Like you can have an underlying trend, and yet you can have a, a subtrend or a story that bucks that trend. And then also, and this is, I think, something that we talk about on Real Vision a fair amount, is the idea that obviously you're looking at things along multiple timeframes. So you could have a macro case where there's significant depression of pricing, for example, but also you can have an amazing new technology that simultaneously develops during that, and that can be a separate story. So it's the really interesting interaction of these two sort of frameworks, the broader macro framework on a time scale and also on a uh, on a sort of fundamental basis while simultaneously having stories that do not, uh, for example, conform to that macro story. And if you want an obvious example of a way where this can clearly show itself, uh, it's if you're in a macro cycle that is broadly very supportive of prices, there's a huge boom in crypto and one particular cryptocurrency coin, for example, has a security flaw. There's an exploit, half a billion dollars gets stolen. This isn't theoretical. We've seen this happen before. Believe me, even though markets are going up, the price of that coin is going to get absolutely hammered and rightly so. That's the way markets work. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes it interesting. That's all part of the complexity and richness of this space, Marco. Yeah, fun for some and not for others, right? Um, but anyways, with that said, that's it for today's show. Thank you for watching, everyone. Don't forget to comment, smash the like button, tweet at us. Remember, this is your show. We want to hear from you on what's working, what's not. What guests do you want to see? What themes should we cover? Tomorrow, we've got a great episode of Rao's Adventures in Crypto. Rao sits down with Solana co-founder Anatoly Yakovenko to talk about blockchain's future as well as Solana going into mobile phones. Make sure to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto for free. If you haven't already, you can watch it. See you next week live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.